still listen to the podcast got a little bit of a short episode today uh jason is off uh on family vacation um which is very selfish of him by the way how dare he abandon our our podcast like this for uh for a family vacation who does he think he is uh, just kidding jace if you're listening uh hope you're having a great time and we really look forward to having you back next week um i wanted to take a moment though and just have a short conversation with those of you who do listen to this podcast because recent things that have happened in the last couple of weeks have got me thinking they've got you thinking uh we've been praying a lot there's a lot of anxiety going on and i think it's time we all have a very honest and frank conversation with ourselves but before we do that uh, i would like to go ahead and and pray invoke the divine blessing and hope that what I have to say here, um, I say out of charity and out of a pursuit of the truth, which is what Christ is. He is the truth. In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Vini Sancti Spiritus Surepla. I'm sorry. I'll try that again. <clears throat> In nomine Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Vini Sancti Spiritus Surepla Tuora Corda Fidelium et Tui Amoris in Eis Ignim Acende. Imite spiritum tuum et creabuntur, et renovabis facium terre. Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium sancti spiritus illustrazioni docuisti, da nobis iniorum spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolazioni gadere. Per Christum dominum nostrum. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I'd like to start off with a few quotes that I want to keep sort of in the, I would like you to keep in the back of your mind as we talk what we talk about today. The first quote is by Mark Twain, who says, It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Second quote that I would like you to sort of keep in the back of your mind comes from St. John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 22 and 23. When Jesus had said this, one of the officers standing nearby slapped him in the face and said, This is how you answer the high priest? Jesus replied, if I've said something wrong, testify as to what was wrong. But if I spoke correctly, why do you hit me? And the third quote comes from, again, St. John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 38. Pilate, therefore, says to him, you are a king then. Jesus answers with abandonment. You say that I am a king. Instead, in fact, the reason I, it is in fact the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate responds plithily, what is truth? Keep those three quotes in the back of your mind um, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today. When Traditionis Custodis first came out, I 
like the rest of you, was of course had our feelings hurt at what what the Holy Father obviously thought of what we were doing and why we were doing it. And we sort of rushed to this idea that, well, we're going to be heroically obedient because that's what we're defined by, our obedience to the church. That's the difference between us and them. And God will just sort of sort everything out magically. I want to be very clear here. I do believe that Christ is in control of the Catholic Church. I do not believe, however, that that is an invitation for us to kick back and just let evil men do what they're going to do. If you read the letter that accompanying Traditionis Custodis, you come to find out that the entire purpose of this is to funnel you back into your Novus Ordo parishes and all that goes along with that. Here's the problem with that. We came from your Novus Ordo parishes. We started out wanting to celebrate the Missal of Paul VI. And any time we would want to introduce any element of reverence into that ceremony. Hey, let's bring in a few Gregorian chants. How about one or two of the prayers be in Latin? Forget turning the altar around. You never even went there. But you'd get the same response you get when you read Traditionis Custodes. We're not doing that anymore. That's pre-Vatican II. You're trying to turn back the clock. You're going to run us back into the Stone Ages. In other words, you're not welcome here. And despite all this talk of active participation, we'd very much like it if you would just sit down and shut up, please. Okay, fine. So... We went to the Tridentine Latin Mass because we weren't getting anywhere with you. You weren't changing your mind and you were in control and brother, you wouldn't let it be forgotten for a second. Okay. Now we come to find out that ain't good enough. It's one thing to tell a kid he's got to eat his green beans, but you can't make a kid like green beans. Okay. You just can't do it. Folks, we need to have a very honest conversation about what all this Traditionis Custodes stuff is really about. I mean, what's really going on here? And that's difficult to do because in the modern-day Catholic Church, the truth is kind of the enemy. And our primary job is to uh, participate in sort of mental gymnastics in order to cover up the reality of what's going on. Like I, I've often said to people, the modern day Catholic church is like a big PR firm, right? That's this, this Jesus character continues to say embarrassing things. And it's our job to go out there and put a good face on this completely embarrassing Galilean Jew who just continues to run his mouth and say things that quite frankly are embarrassing to me. Or on the opposite end of that, you have us, who our job in the Catholic Church is to pretend like all of our leaders who were up to no good are actually up to good. You see, what they did was actually good. And any, any insinuation to the contrary is just calumny, which we need to fight against and, and victim blame. And I mean, you've all been, 
You've been in the Catholic Church for the last 50 years. You know what I'm talking about. Um, obedience is not an invitation to participate in mental gymnastics. That's actually not what obedience is for. Obedience, all holy obedience, true holy obedience, like charity, is always at the service of the truth. We need to start telling the truth. That's going to be difficult to do because we have not really been doing a lot of that lately, especially over on the traditionalist end. I know what you're thinking. Mark, what are you talking about? I mean, we're not telling the truth. I'm saying we are making such leaps of logic about Tradiciones Custodes. It's beginning to become embarrassing. The latest one that's going around is, well, Pope Francis really didn't even write the thing. Right? So somebody else wrote it, so that means the Pope really doesn't hate us. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe and maybe it's not even really a papal document. And and you know, and, uh, uh, guys, guys, you are out to lunch. He signed his name to it. Doesn't matter if he wrote it or not. He signed his name to it, he owns it. Let's get real here. Stop practicing mental gymnastics. What we need to determine is whether or not we're going to follow this thing. And I know what you're thinking, Mark, there's so many lies in Traditiones Custodes. Where to begin? Starting with the fact that, that uh, what, Paul the, I mean, what Pius V did is exactly the same thing as what Traditiones Custodes is doing. He says that in, uh, in, in his letter to the bishops. And he says, he even admits in the letter to the bishops that well, yeah, abuses in the Novus Ordo probably caused all this, and that's a shame. But he doesn't do anything to stop that. They're not going to get their own motu proprio. In fact, what he says in, in both the letter and the, the motu proprio itself is, we can't do the Tridentine Latin Mass because it's old. There's nothing wrong with the liturgy itself. The fact of the matter is, it's pre-Vatican II, and then there's post-Vatican II, and we're only doing things that are post-Vatican II. Well, guess what this has led to? Yeah, in Costa Rica, a priest was suspended and sent for psychological treatment for celebrating the Novus Ordo Mise in Latin. You heard me right. What he did is he celebrated the Missal of Paul VI, as is proscribed in the Motu Proprio, as the unique Lex Orandi of the Catholic Church. He celebrated it in the language that it was written in. He celebrated it according to the rubrics. And because of that, he had to go. If any of this is sounding vaguely familiar to you, let me know. Guys, we're not talking about a church that started in 1970. We're talking about a church that started three or four weeks ago. The, 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 the theology laid out in Traditionis Custodes isn't even, doesn't even have continuity with the post-conciliar Catholic Church. This has never been the attitude of the Catholic Church up until about three or four weeks ago. And this idea that if we come back into your, Novo, your Novus Ordo Parish, they're going to come up with a solution for us. They're going to come up with a more reverent, quote-unquote, Novus Ordo Mise for us. Are you delusional? Are we delusional? 
Are we stupid? I mean, I'm seriously asking the question, are we stupid? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate question. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 2480. Every word or attitude is forbidden by which flattery, adulation, or complacence encourages and confirms another's malicious acts and perverse conduct. Adulation is a grave fault if it makes one an accomplice in another's vices or grave sins. Neither, des neither the desire to be of service nor friendship justifies duplicitous speech. Adulation is a venial sin when it only seeks to be agreeable to avoid evil, to meet a need, or to obtain legitimate advantages. Venial sin, but a sin nonetheless. I'm telling you guys right now, my initial attitude towards this was the same as everybody else's. We better be careful lest the hammer of the whole Catholic Church come down on us and wipe us out of existence. But then I look to the cross. Here's a man who stood for the truth no matter what the consequences were. The truth is the truth, and we can't just ignore it. I will be using all morally licit ways in which to resist traditiones custodes. I advise you all to do the same. If you take away from it what I take away from it, that what this is really about, what is it? So if it's, because it's not really about the Tridentine Latin Mass. The incident in Costa Rica basically proves that. And by the way, that's not an, ins, an isolated incident. There have been countless incidents where if you try to just, let's get some Gregorian chants going. Man, that, you've never seen such vitriol and uh, thrown at people. They'll kick you out faster than you could imagine. Okay, so it's not really about the, the, what we call the traditional Latin mass. Then what's it really about? Quite frankly, I'm going to tell you all what this is about, why this modio proprio came down, why it is so harsh in its tone, and it's so unprecedented in its, in its draconian measures. I'll tell you why. Because you people represent, quite frankly, the most significant threat in their mission to impose their novel vision of Catholicism on the world by brute force. And I'm going to tell you another thing. It's got nothing to do with Vatican II. Nothing to do with Vatican II. Because here this guy, Father Sixto Eduardo Varela, Santa Maria, he was celebrating the Mass, exactly according to the rubrics advised by the Second Vatican Council and Pope Paul VI. They sent him to the insane asylum. Why? Because what they want has nothing to do with Vatican II. They're praying to God, whatever God they believe in, you've never read Vatican II, and that you never will read Vatican II. Well, it's time for us to tell the truth about Vatican II. While we're, while, since we're on this kick of telling the truth, let's tell the truth about Vatican II. The Second Vatican Council for traditionalists, is actually our best friend, and nobody knows it.
because we have largely let Vatican II be whatever they say it is. They control the discourse about Vatican II. They control the vocabulary. They control what these documents mean to people and what they don't mean to people. Well, I'm very sorry to tell you this, but I quote Bishop Robert Barron, who says there is no higher authority in the church than an ecumenical council. Not a pope, not a bishop, not a priest, not some expert at the pontifical Athenaeum Gregorianum. No one. And I went back and I said, I've always been, I've always liked most of the documents in Vatican II. I was always a little hesitant about Sacrosanctum Concilium. I didn't really understand it. And I knew I was reading it wrong. I said, I have to be reading this wrong. Because the way I'm reading it, it's not like I, I found it heretical or anything like that. I just, it didn't make any sense. You know, in, in one paragraph, it would say Latin is to be preserved. And in the very next paragraph, it would say we should introduce the vernacular. So I was like, are we keeping a Latin? Or are we not? You've, you've said two things simultaneously that both seem to exclude one another. I don't, I don't understand what this is. Um, and that's because I was reading it wrong. I found this great talk on the internet. And I'm going to link it. I'm going to link, I'm going to add a, a link to it in the description of the podcast. And I hope you all watch it. Um, what this priest goes around tell, it, it, it gets around to telling you is that Sacrosanctum Concilium was never intended to be a blueprint for a new Mass. That's not what they were doing when they wrote Sacrosanctum Concilium. The idea behind Sacrosanctum Concilium is that the Catholic Church is a big church. There's a lot of different people in the Catholic Church. And people are different. And what we would like to do is we would like to free up the sacred congregation of, of rites and sacraments, which name, which name changes every two or three years. So I can't even keep track of what that particular dickistry in the Vatican is called anymore. But anyway, we would like to free them up to, in cases where they believe it would be a good idea, to do some experimentations with the liturgy. Um... Because people do actively engage in the liturgy in different ways. Now, if that was the purpose behind Sacrosanctum Concilium, how do you reconcile that with Traditionis Custodis, which shuts down people simply for liking old things? I think the authors of Sacrosanctum Concilium, I think the council fathers would have been horrified by Traditionis Custodis. I think they wrote the second, every document in the Second Vatican Council precisely to avoid things like this. But that doesn't matter to the people who were in charge. In their view, it's their Catholic Church now, and you can either get on board or you can get out. Well, that's really sad. But we're going to tell the truth about Vatican II. And we're going to start on this podcast. When Jason gets back, we're going to go through Sacrosanctum Concilium. We're going to go through the Second Vatican Council. And we're going to actually talk about this council they say they love so much. But they don't. Because if they did, they wouldn't be so quick to deviate from it every possible encounter. It's a lie. And I'm so, I'm so sick of lies, I can't even keep up with them anymore. Because the lie changes every 10 years. 
We're not believing this version of the lie anymore. Now we're believing this other version of the lie. And the measure of a good Catholic is all dependent upon how fast you can drink your Kool-Aid. You know, thank you, but no thank you. I have no, I have no interest in that. If it's true that all the Catholic Church is, is just some tacit agreement to participate in a collective delusion, then let me know now. I'll get out of the whole thing. You can have the whole thing to yourselves. You can have women priests and do, do whatever you want. I got into this because I believe Christ is the truth, not, per, not to participate in delusions. I have no interest in that. If you're upset because traditionalists don't understand Vatican II, that's your fault, not ours, because you have made no efforts to catechize people on Vatican II, you have made every effort to intentionally mislead and manipulate people using the name of Vatican II. The story about Vatican II changes every five or six years. And then you just, well, I just can't understand why these people don't believe in Vatican II anymore. <laughs> Guys, it's not Vatican II we don't believe in. It's you. It's you. And this leads me to the other thing I wanted to discuss, our bishops. And I know no bishops listen to this. I totally understand that. Very few people listen to this. This is a very new, very new podcast. We don't have a lot of listeners. I think there's a lot of good bishops out there. I think there's a lot of bishops who feel in many ways the same way we do. But they're in a difficult position. Speaking out is going to incur a lot of consequences on them. Archbishop um, Vigano, who broke the seal of silence and blew the whole door open and named names about the McCarrick sex abuse scandal, who was involved and who really wasn't and how it came to be, he's in hiding. He's in hiding. He claims he fears for his life. But that's the price of the truth. Look to the cross. You tell the truth, you're going to the cross. I make no, make no qualms about that. Don't be afraid. In the end, real heroism is going to incur some consequences. Now, I'm not talking to the bishops out there who agree with all this, who think traditionalist custodis is a great idea because lying is incredibly convenient. And I, I, don't, even, I, I don't even care to talk to them. I have nothing really to say to them because whatever, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. Then there's some bishops who are on the fence, who don't quite know what to think of all this. Who maybe they think there's some truth in, in, in what the Holy Father is talking about. Maybe they think, maybe they know it's a lie and they don't, they're on the fence. Guys, the Catholic Church can be one of two things. It can be the city of God or it can be the Tower of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel? This is a story in the Old Testament about a group of men who thought they could build with their own human hands something that was equivalent to what God could build and better. This is not just a story that, happened, that takes place in the Old Testament. This has been tried over and over and over again. Communism. Is a perfect example of the Tower of Babel. 
You know why there's human suffering in this world? Because I don't run it. And I can build a better paradise than anything God can build. And the only reason why there's human suffering in this world is because God is an absentee landlord and I just haven't come along yet. So I'm going to build the most just, most equitable, most humane society in all of human existence. And from the start, it was the 180 degree opposite of all of those things. It was the most unjust, most despotic, most barbaric regime in all of human history. The only thing that it produced in abundance was corpses. Didn't last, it didn't barely, it didn't even last a century, thank God. And did that, did we learn anything from it? No. No, many people today still think that oh, yeah, the only reason is, see, they didn't build the Tower of Babel with the right buttresses. See, when, I, when, when I'm in charge, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build it the right way. There's nothing wrong with Vatican II. It's a great council. Rereading Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document I, I used to like the least, I now think I now think it's my favorite it's my favorite liturgical document in the whole Catholic Church. Isn't that weird? How how looking at it in its context can change the meaning of it for you that much. And all I had to do was give myself permission to believe that Vatican II isn't just whatever they say it is. That's it. That's all I had to do. Bother to tell the truth. Um, the Tower of Babel or the City of God. I believe the Catholic Church is the City of God. But only truth can reside here. Now, that's my message to those bishops. Now there's bishops out there who, appealing to any sense of, you know, doing the right thing, doing the godly thing, shepherding the flock. I, I don't think they care about that that much. Okay, fine. I'll appeal to the one and only thing I know you care about, naked self-interest and power. I think it's stupid that that's all that you care about, but that's all you care about, fine. If that's all you care about, here's my message to you. You guys cannot continue to govern the Catholic Church like this. You'll do, what, you'll do what I say or else. This isn't, I know you guys like to tell us that we're medieval, but you guys are the ones who think that this is like 15th century Spain. Because, let me ask you a question. Have any of y'all ever thought about what's going to happen if all these people just leave? What's going to happen if they get tired of our crap and they just leave? You want, a, you want the soul, you want a million lost Catholic souls on your conscience when you die? You need to think about this stuff. This is important stuff. Some of them will go back to their Novus Ordo parishes and suffer through Mass every Sunday like good little boys and girls just like you want them to. But I'm telling you right now, most of them are going to leave. And you ain't ever going to get them back. This idea that I can just dictate it. People will just do it because I'm the bishop and I'm the boss and I'm in charge. And do, do, do you guys understand 
that after the sex abuse scandal stuff, do, do, do you realize that the world does not believe you have any moral legitimacy left? Do, do you understand the situation that you're in? You cannot just go in to a two-hour USCCB meeting, convince yourselves that everybody has forgotten about what you've done, and then walk out and, every, and pretend like everything's fine. I mean, you can do that, but it hasn't had the damnedest bit of effect on the reality you live in. No one believes you anymore. Does that bother you? Because gosh, it bothers me and I'm not even a bishop. And, there's, and, it's, and it's very unfair because there's a lot of good bishops out there who have to wear the labels that are being thrust upon them by these cunning and ambitious men who don't believe in anything. And that's not right. I want you guys, you, you, you good bishops out there, think about, remember what it was like the day after that Boston Globe story ran. How much fun it was to put on a Roman collar and walk out in public. Wasn't that fun? Boy, I bet that was fun. How much more of that do y'all want to do? How much more lying and gaslighting and hoping it never blows up in your face? How much more of that do y'all want to do? You can kick us out if you want. I'll gladly jump on that grenade, honestly. It would hurt, but I'm at the service of the truth. You want to kick us out of the Catholic Church? Go ahead, kick us out of the Catholic Church. That'll solve all your problems. I know the fact. I know. I know what's a good solution to the uh, vocation crisis: close the FSSP seminaries. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll solve all the problems, won't it? I mean, what are we doing here, guys? What are we doing here? Let's get real. Let's get serious, shall we, for five seconds? I'm making an appeal to every good Catholic, good Catholic priest, and good Catholic bishop. Let's stand up to this. And no, that's not being disobedient. Because all obedience, all legitimate and holy obedience is at the service of the truth Telling the truth is not being disobedient. And if it is, then we need to be disobedient. We have to tell the truth. You know, going back to the scandals that have broken in recent decades that have shaken everyone's belief in the Catholic Church. We're a lot of good priests and good bishops in those situations who tried to do the right thing. And they got shut down. They got, they got traditionis custodied. They were told, your job is out of holy obedience to help me cover this up. And they knew it was wrong. But they felt like obedience is a heroic virtue. That's what I'm called to do, and I'm going to be obedient. So I will continue to let the most vulnerable among us be subjected to horrifying abuse from evil people, because I guess that's my job. And you ask any one of those guys now, do you regret anything? 
And they'll all tell you, without a doubt. Yeah, I wish I would have told Holy Obedience to go screw. Holy Obedience is just that. It's holy. It's not at the service of the unholy. We, can't be at the, we cannot be obedient to the unholy. We cannot. We will be judged quite harshly for that, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Thinking about Vatican II, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. A lot of lies have been told about Vatican II. Some of them are in Tradiciones Custodes. We're going to tell the truth about Vatican II. This next episode that's going to come up is going to be, we're going to lay bare all of those misconceptions about Vatican II. Because if Tradiciones Custodes is right, if they're real, what they want is a more faithful, let's, let's get back to Vatican II, fine, let's do that. But doing that, is, I'm not sure how you think that's going to put the traditionalist, the traditional Latin mass out of business. Oh, because they don't really want us to get back to Vatican II. We just sort of say that as a way of manipulating people into doing what we want. Well, that's not going to work anymore. That's not going to work anymore. Too many people have read Vatican II and too many people are on to what you're doing. You want, to serve, you want to serve Vatican II? You want to serve the Catholic Church? You want to serve Jesus Christ? Tell the truth. Let's start with that. Let's just tell the truth. And if what I've said, if what we're saying, if what the traditional Latin Mass has said about Vatican II is untrue, point out the untruth. If not, why do you hit us? Why do you hit us? Anyway, I know that was a rant, and I apologize for that, but I will be using any and all morally licit means at my disposal to, to, to not obey Traditiones Custodes. And I don't care if I have to stand alone. Sometimes telling the truth will mean that. You think Archbishop Lefebvre was having a good time knowing that what he was doing was going to incur the severest canonical penalty available at their disposal? You think he didn't feel alone when every single one of his brother bishops out there abandoned him to that situation? When nobody was on his side? We're in a better position than he is. At least we have a, some kind of a movement behind us. What did he have? You know? Um, we're going to get into Vatican II. We're going to tell the truth here. I don't care if I go down swinging. I'm, I'll, that's what I'll do. And... Uh, if they take away my, if they, if they take my life, to hell with my life, to hell with my career, to hell with all of it. I don't care.
Do your worst. And I'm telling you right now, just so just so you're all prepared. If anybody ever listens to this, if this ever catches on, if this rant of mine ever goes anywhere, stories will emerge about how I'm a neo-Nazi and I've uh, I, I, I involved in all kinds of uh, stuff. Because lying is not something they have a problem with. We know that. I mean, I'd ask you not to believe that stuff, but you're going to believe whatever you're going to believe. I'm ready. I'm telling the truth. I don't care anymore. Do your worst. Next week, uh, Jason and I are going to get right into Sacrosanctum Concilium. And I really hope that you all stick around for that. And uh, I hope this wasn't painful to listen to. <laughs> but uh, either way, a little more serious than I usually am on the podcast. But that's the way it goes. All right, guys, we'll see you all next week. Until then, God bless us. God bless the Catholic Church. God bless our bishops and God bless our Pope. Thank you. Oh,